Welcome to Study the Word Podcast with your host, Dr. Marty Mento. Together we will discover wisdom that leads to salvation and spiritual growth. Here with today's Bible teaching is your host, Dr. Marty Mento. Well, thank you so much, Randy, and welcome to Study the Word Podcast. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. That is John chapter 4. I'm going to begin a brand new series entitled Biblical Worship. And we're going to use John chapter 4 as our proof text, our springboard, a place where we're going to start to really look at this whole entire issue of biblical worship. The reason why I'm doing this series is because I have great concern about the confusion that seems to face uh, the visible church today when it comes to the issue of worship. Uh, So often we hear about churches fighting and uh, bickering about uh, the way they do worship, what worship should look like or even sound like, what worship should be within the local body. Many times churches have actually split over this entire issue. If you look at some of the billboards and signages across the cities and even out into the countryside when it comes to churches on their billboards, you'll, you'll begin to see that Many of them want to just let the public know that they're having contemporary or traditional or liturgical worship or even praise services and gatherings. Um, There is just so much that is being talked about today, written about on Facebook, so many books that are being written by men, and so many people talking about what they're doing at their church when it comes to worship. Um, from the way the church sounds inside, the way it looks, from the seating to the lighting, uh, to the using of guitars or no guitars, of pianos, of organs, of of full orchestras, of choirs. I mean, mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, There just seems to be people that are just enthralled with this so-called act of worship, what takes place on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, whatever it may be. But I have great concern that most people really don't understand true biblical worship. And I think of a lot of these issues that people are getting caught up in, a lot of these things that are moving people, that are bringing them to even battle with one another, is because they don't have the foundation. They don't understand the principles of true biblical worship. And so a lot that what is going on today in the visible church, I would tend to believe just from what I see and I've experienced myself at many different churches, what I read about truly doesn't line up with the Word of God. It's more of man and his flesh and his desires, what he wants, versus what God and his Word tells us when it comes to worship. So what I want to do is I want to do this series on biblical worship, and it's really going to be a non-exhaustive study on worship because there is so much to talk about when it comes to worship. Um, And I just, you know, there's just no way for us to lay um, every, you know, kind of jot and tittle, every, every nook and cranny. We can't cover everything that's out there within the Word of God when it comes to worship. But I really do believe we can lay a foundation a foundation that has been made plain and clear to us to understand what biblical worship is all about. Matter of fact, I found it interesting as I was preparing for this series, I came across a couple quotes that 
of two individuals that many of you out there who listen to this podcast may be aware of, but one of them is uh, Dr. A.W. Tozer, who has passed on. He once said, worship is the missing jewel of the church. One of my favorite Bible teachers, Dr. John MacArthur of Grace Community Church in California, said, the evangelical church movement has all but lost sight of the glory and the grandeur of the one we worship. So those two quotes, if you look at them and just ponder on them for a little while, you begin to realize that these two men of God really understood that something was wrong within the local church, within the visible church. Um, And it is, I guess, in many ways, it's getting worse. I do believe down deep inside that what God desires and what God wants from us is made plain and clear within the pages of Scripture. And it's our responsibility to study the Word of God. It's our responsibility to know what God says about this issue. And then, in obedience to Him, follow what He wants. Instead of creating things that worship was never meant to be. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay a foundation, starting with a proof text, uh, of a story that I think is probably very familiar to you. It is the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And I'm going to start at the very beginning of chapter 4, verse 1. And if you follow along, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, just listen carefully as I read to you the story of Jesus as he meets this woman at the well. When therefore Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the partial of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. 
for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have truly said. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm going to start, stop there and, and we'll talk more about this story, talk more about the, the ending of the story a little bit later on this podcast. But I kind of want to lay the foundation because in the midst of this encounter, obviously Jesus brings about a teaching. And the teaching is really truly about biblical worship and what biblical worship is all about. Before we go any further and we begin to look at this text, I want to kind of lay a foundation and give us a little bit of an understanding when it comes to the meaning of words. For instance, the word worship. In the Old Testament, the main Hebrew word for worship is shakah, which means to bow down or to do homage. The idea is to prostrate oneself in order to do homage. It basically is showing reverence or fear to God, or we would say reverence and fear together to God. It's kind of what we would call the fear factor. As a matter of fact, I, I find this very interesting because um, i got to be honest with you, I have been a part of many different worship services over the years. I grew up in the church, and I have been to many local churches throughout the United States, but I have never witnessed, I guess, firsthand any group of people that have bowed down or have done homage to God or prostrated themselves in order to show reverence and fear to God or for God. But it's interesting that the Bible shows us and paints for us a picture time and time again of the children of Israel in worship to their God, the one and true and only God. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me for a moment, if you would, to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. And if you would with me, we're going to start with reading with verse 10, and I'm going to go down. And it says here that this is the story of Moses on Sinai. The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments. Let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it, 
Whoever touches the mountains shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So it came about on the third day, when it was morning, that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down, warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou didst warn us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Now, the reason why this passage is so important is because it sets the stage of what's going to take place. God is going to show up on this mountain. You know, I like to keep things pretty simple. When I study God's Word, when I teach other people, I want to keep it as simple as possible and look at the things that are very important for us to understand. First of all, God gave to Moses instructions about the people. And the truth of the matter is God wanted his people consecrated, set apart. He wanted them prepared to meet him to experience him on Mount Sinai. You know, I think to myself, when it comes to worship, particularly on Sunday morning as the local body of believers, do we as God's people prepare ourselves? Are are we truly prepared uh, the night, maybe days ahead of time, preparing for the time in which we will gather together and we will call upon the throne of God. We will come before the throne of God with worship, with praise. We will cry out to God. We will come boldly with our prayers. Uh, We will open God's holy word, and we will read the words of the living God. Do we prepare ourselves? Are we truly prepared to enter into worship, to experience the presence of Almighty God? Now, I want to make this clear to everyone that is out there listening to this podcast. I firmly believe that the Lord our God is with us all the time. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, dwells within us. 
He will never leave us nor forsake us. But at the same time, when we gather together corporately as the body of Christ, as the church, the bride, I truly believe that we should be just like the children of Israel in this story. We should be prepared, consecrated, set apart. This should be a priority in our lives. When we come together, we are going to worship the only true and living God. We are going to hear from him as we open his word. We are going to pray to him. We are going to lift up our voices and our hearts and our minds in one accord and worship him. But we need to first and foremost be prepared. We need to be prepared because if we're not prepared, then truly can we really truly come to that place where we experience truly the blessing of the glory, of the majesty, of the power of our God. Now, I want to be careful. I'm not talking about just something that is experiential in nature, because there's a lot of times I have found that people, when it comes to worship, that they are looking just to experience something, to feel something. Now, I do firmly believe when we spend time with God, whether it be individually or corporately, there is an experiential factor. We should know that we have been with God. I believe when we gather together corporately as the church, there should be something of an awe to us that we have been in the presence of Almighty God. There's some people who believe that there are times that we are not in God's presence, or God didn't show up that particular Sunday or Sunday evening or Wednesday because certain things did not take place, which I I don't believe that. But what I do believe is that even in the scene here, obviously, the scene is overwhelming when you think about it because God is showing up on the top of the mountain. The people are trembling because they know it's God the thunder, the lightnings, um, they, they know that God is there, the dark smoke, the cloud that is covering them. They know that God has showed up, and it's powerful. And the imagery that we see here is amazing. Matter of fact, if, you, if we jump down um, and go a little bit further to Exodus chapter 20, which we have what we would, would call the story of the Ten Commandments, and God given to the children of Israel what he expects from them. If you would start with verse 18 with me, and look what it says, And all the people perceived the thunder and lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. They said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But let not God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Now, when I read that, folks, and I've got to be honest with you, there's so much here to this story. And it goes along with understanding what worship, what that word in the Old Testament, shakah, means. They are trembling 
at the presence. They are fearful, but also it's an aspect of reverence. They know it's God. And when they realize it's God, the response is what I would say a normal response, a typical response. Too often, I think, in our times of worship, we're lacking that awe, that reverence, that fear, knowing that truly we are in the presence of Almighty God. And and I know that over the years I've had some people question me about this because they're saying, well, are you telling us that, that there shouldn't be a time of joy? There shouldn't be a time of peace that we should be afraid when we gather together. Well, I'm saying that when God is in our midst, there should be something that brings us to this point and place of awe and reverence, a place where we have this holy fear. We know that God is God, and that even though we call him God the Father, we understand that he is compassionate and merciful and loving and forgiving. He's also just. He's holy. He's pure. And if we understand who God is and what God is all about, and we understand what we're all about, then we begin to realize that there, that we're in opposition to God. Then in this tent, in this flesh, there's nothing good that dwells, as the Apostle Paul once said. And as we are in his presence and we are worshiping him, there should be something within us that truly just brings us to that point in place in realizing that we must worship him. We must do homage or bow down to him. We must bring ourselves to that point in place of realizing that he is God and we are not. I think of uh, the passage in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 36, and I'll read it for you, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 36. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, and to him you shall bow yourselves down, and to him you shall sacrifice. Once again, that understanding of bowing down, the understanding of prostrating oneself, uh, the understanding of fearing God. Now, in the New Testament, The Greek word for worship is proskunio, which also means to prostrate oneself in reverence and homage to God. So I think it's interesting, both the Old Testament word for worship, the New Testament word for worship, means the same thing. But do we truly practice that? Now, before some of you are wondering, am I saying, okay, in the local church setting, we should be on the ground, on our faces before ground, before God, excuse me. Am I saying that? Yes and no. To do so, I don't think would be wrong. But truly, I think when we think about worship and we understand worship and what worship means, we have to go back to the issue that is always before God, and that is the heart issue the heart of man. Matter of fact, our English word worship was originally spelled worth-ship. It meant to acknowledge the worth of someone or something. Matter of fact, there's many passages of Scripture, especially in the Psalms, 
where we find this to be true. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me for a moment to Psalms chapter 57. Psalms 57, verse 6. And here's what it says. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. But do you notice in the passage in the midst of it, he said, my soul is bowed down. Let me go to another passage. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms chapter 95. Psalms chapter 95. And we're going to look together at verses 6 and 7. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice. And one other place I want to take you quickly, and again, this is not exhaustive. There's many other places within the Scripture, but Psalms 138, verse 2. I will bow down toward thy holy temple and give thanks to thy name for thy loving kindness and thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word according to all thy name. So once again, you see this understanding of bowing down, of paying homage, of worshiping God, prostrating oneself. But you also see there in Psalms 57 about the soul bowing down. I love what the late R.A. Torrey once stated about worship. Listen to this. Worship is the soul bowing itself in adoration before the object worshipped. Once again, worship is the soul bowing itself in adoration before the object worshipped. True worship is to God alone by bowing one's soul in adoring contemplation of himself. When we use the word here, contemplation, what does contemplation mean? It means to think deeply about God. You recognize who God truly is and who you are. I I love this from R.A. Torre. It really is the issue of the heart, of the soul bowing itself in adoration before the God in whom we worship. Um, We know that within the pages of Scripture, we are told quite often that people often will worship God with their lips, but the heart is far away from him. Their heart or their soul is not truly bowing itself in adoration, in praise, in worship unto God. There are times that when we gather together as the church for the time of corporate worship, our minds aren't even focused upon God. We're thinking about, will I get out in time to get to the restaurant to get the good seat? Maybe we will be thinking about what's ahead for the upcoming week in our businesses and our workings and all the things that we need to do. There could be many of things. Or we just sing songs just to sing them. We know them and we, we don't even need a hymnal or need to, you know, for the songs to be put up on the screen. We just know them. We've heard them a hundred, a thousand times before. We know the words. But interesting, 
we don't even think about the words in which we sing. Quite often there is even songs that have been in hymnals and been a part of the church that are not even biblical, that say things that don't even match up with the Word of God. And it's sad that it's taken only you know a few men of God to recognize this. Hey, something's wrong. Wait a minute. These, that's not what the Bible says, but yet we sing it. But also we go through the motions. We gather together at the church, and we know how the service is going to go. It's that expectation. It's it's getting in and getting out. But there is nothing that's taking place even with us individually, even though corporately we come together as individuals, as as individuals, as, as the children of the living God. Are we truly engaged in worship? And once again, it goes back to our time of preparation. Have we prepared ourselves? Are we really preparing to meet God? Now, again, please don't get me wrong. We can meet God and spend time with God anywhere in the quietness of our homes. We could do so on a beach somewhere. We could be taking a long walk in the woods. There are many places we could be where we can truly experience God and worship him. So I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression that only in this building as we gather together as the local body is true worship taking place, but there is something about corporate worship, God's people, many members but yet one body. And and so often, even going back to the days of Israel and the, and the children of Israel, we see the importance of this corporate worship as God shows up. There is fear. There's reverence. They are prostrating themselves. They are bowing down before their God, their creator. But truly, even if they're not bowed down physically and prostrating themselves, true worship involves that worthship, acknowledging the worth of the one in which we are worshiping. So the soul, the heart, is bowing down. We are at a place and at a point of recognizing once again, as R.A. Torre said, who God is and who we are. And something should take place. Something should take place in our lives. Instead of it being just another Sunday morning, another Sunday evening, another Wednesday, another uh, home Bible study, whatever the case may be, And worship, too, if you really take the time and study worship, biblical worship all throughout the Scriptures, the Old Testament, New Testament, I I find that it's not dependent upon the timex. It's not set in in a time period. The men and women of God, the children of God, gather together to worship God, not worrying about a clock not worrying about how long they were there, would be there. And some, you know, I've had this discussion with people over the years because we live in a a very fast-paced society, very busy time period. Uh, Time is a great commodity. You know, we hear all the things, well, the attention of people only lasts, you know, 30 minutes or less. And, I mean, things go on. We, We have other priorities in life to take care of. 
you know, some who work six, day, six days a week, the seventh day is is their day of rest, but also their day to enjoy the family and that. So, you know, they want to get in, they want to get out, they want to spend time. I mean, the list goes on and on of all the excuses that we make. You know, the prayer time at Dorn Worship is usually very short and sweet. Not that we have to ramble on for a long time, but there seems to be no depth to it. Then you have those aspect of those who worship who think that true worship is when you repeat, you know, one verse 16 times. You should feel something. If you're not feeling something, you're not moving in tears. Isn't it interesting when God showed up in the Old Testament, it wasn't an issue of people feeling and moving in tears. They were trembling. There was an awe. There was a fear knowing they were in the presence of Almighty God. I think when we begin to look at all this and we begin to put this together, we begin to lay a foundation, a foundation that is really, truly given to us by God. Now, in this series, we're going to break this down. We're going to talk about many different aspects. We're going to talk about who we worship and who God truly is, what does worship do? Where does worship come from? What one should expect while worshiping God? We are going to look at the proof text of Jesus with the woman at the well and exactly what he taught us about worship and why worship is so important. And we're going to take our time, and I'm not sure how many podcasts this will be until we come to a point where we'll say, okay, uh, it's time for us to end because I have many of notes in front of me, and yet at the same time, I want to, I want to do, do justice to this topic. I want us to help all of us to understand how important this is, because we do know from the proof text that I read earlier from John chapter 4 that the truth of the matter is that Jesus himself made it clear to the Samaritan woman He says that an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So obviously the Father wants us to worship him. Worshiping God the Father needs to be a priority as we gather together. And also I want to talk about when we gather together as the body of Christ, well, what does this where does Jesus fit into this picture? Are we to worship Jesus? Are we worshiping Jesus at the same time? How about the Holy Spirit? What is his role? What, is, what, what role does he play in the midst of this time of corporate worship or even individual worship? I hope to answer many of these questions along the way, but I am going to do my best to truly keep it biblical. Um, it's one of the phrases I've been using for quite some time. I've used as a hashtag, keep it biblical. I think what we need to do is we need to go back to the Bible more than ever before. We need to see what God says about worship and what true biblical worship is all about and what it's not about. And I believe in the words that Jesus said in John chapter 8, in verses 31 and 32, and just bear with me for just a moment, but Jesus said to those who believed in him, listen to his words, 
Jesus therefore was saying to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There's much that could be said of that verse, and I don't want to take it out of its context, but I want to use it as a principle. The principle is this, the truth of God's holy word will set us free. Set us free from the error, set us free from traditions, set us free from wrong thinking, practices, and things that we have bought into and believe that worship is all about what it is not. In this study, we'll talk about music in worship, musical instruments. We'll talk about, you know, singing songs. We'll talk about a little bit of everything that kind of put it all together we have before us, biblical worship, but just enough to lay the foundation. And then I would encourage you to study on your own, to take the time and open God's Word and cross-reference and look up other meanings of words and and begin to, to get a picture of not only the Old Testament but the New Testament of what biblical worship truly is all about. And I'm hoping and praying that when you do so, you will truly grow, you'll be able to help others, you'll be able to take a stand when people want to wage war and and split and divide over issues that really are not issues at all. And hopefully you'll be able to help someone else, but at the same time, your time alone with God, not only individually, but corporately as you gather together as the body of Christ, your worship experience will be each and every time powerful, intimate, exciting, a time of great reverence and fear, a time in which your soul, your heart will bow down before God. You will recognize him for who he is and you for who you are. And you will always remember the grace of God, the goodness of God that was demonstrated to you through his Son, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to Study the Word Podcast with Bible teacher Dr. Marty Minto. If you have questions in regards to today's study or any questions about the Bible and or spiritual issues, then email us at studythewordpodcast at gmail.com. We hope through today's teaching you have learned biblical truth so that you can teach others and defend the Christian faith. Tell others about Study the Word Podcast available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor.fm. Once again, thanks for listening to Study the Word Podcast.